everyone, and welcome to the Humanity of Leadership podcast, a modern-day approach to human-first leadership. Hello, everyone. I am Narjas. And I am Amber, and we are your kick-ass leaders, coaches, and hosts. We want to make this podcast where we could take the subject of leadership as we have always known it and level it up with a touch of humanity. Yeah, Amber, I wanted to tell our listeners what we are here to do best which is to have those real life conversations with you, amazing people and leaders and managers out there, where we will riff a little on what we believe leaders need to let go of and learn to lean into by embracing what I call those must-haves that today's employees and teams are seeking. So join us as we talk strategies, share tips, skills, and offer different perspectives to break down those stigmas on what makes it hard for leaders to show up as a full-on human for their teams. Absolutely, Narjis. And we believe that kick-ass leaders are intentional, driven, and focused on the power of the whole person experience in the workplace. Our hope is to inspire you to explore and level up your leadership approach in your life and business by modeling this humanity of leadership through coaching and in sharing our own vulnerabilities with you as we talk all things leadership. Let's dive in. All right. Good morning, Nargis. How are you doing today? Good morning, Amber. So good. Um, ready to go today. Have some awesome conversation. How about you? Yeah, I am so excited. And today we have our first guest who I'm so excited to introduce to our listeners. She is incredible. I know her personally quite well, and I'm just going to read a little something about her. So our guest is Stephanie Lovinger. She is a CPCC and PCC as an executive and personal coach specializing in leadership development, change navigation, and mid-career transition. She supports people as they make changes in situations, behavior, and communication in the workplace and elsewhere. She has worked with clients in government, private sector, and not-for-profit organizations since 2001. She has been training and mentoring individuals and groups as they develop coaching skills since 2007. Prior to her career transition to coaching, she worked for a number of Fortune 500 and smaller organizations in sales, management, and communication skills training roles. She was also my personal coach. She supported me through my certification process and continues to mentor me in this space. And I'm so excited to have her. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Um, and you are, I mean, over 20 years in this industry. So what a fabulous guest to have for both Nargis and myself. We've all done the same training in, um, through CTI. And we can't wait to jump in and see um, from a third coach's perspective, what is happening in leadership spaces and in the corporate setting and how our focus is working with leaders and managers and what they can take away and use today in the workplace. Great. So um, I would like to jump in. I know you kind of teased one time we were having a mentor call and we were just kind of chit-chatting and one of my big whys about why I wanted to even be a coach, which is what we were talking about, 
was how I had some really crappy managers and you said, oh boy, have I got a story for you. And that was, I mean, probably six months ago. And that little tease has held me just so curious. And I would love to jump in and hear a little bit about your past experiences and kind of, if is that what led you to coaching? And if you could kind of expand there. Yeah, well, indirectly, yeah. The story that I have in mind, um, I had uh, other not so great managers before this, but the contrast of two managers I had in one job is I think the story I was talking about. Um, so years and years and years ago, when I was early in my career, I had this dream job that I wanted for myself. I had a lot of sales experience, but I wanted to be a corporate trainer. I wanted to mm. teach soft skills type training in, in companies. And there was this company that would hire sales to do both. Um, and so I, I applied and there were all these candidates and I, and I had to audition these three day audition and I landed this job. Wow. And I was so excited because I was going to get to learn how to do corporate training. So the, the guy who hired me, it turns out later that he, he didn't want to hire anyone and nobody in the office wanted to hire me, but somebody else had decided I was the candidate. So they hired me and then, and then they did everything they could think of to try to get me to fail. Mm. Oh. Would kind of talk down to me. He would, he would treat me like an object. He would, he would focus on what I was doing wrong. And then, and then kind of, kind of set me up along with one of the other trainers to fail in the classroom in front of, uh, in front of customers. Wow. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't know what was going on at the time. But when I started to notice that my inner critics were starting to act up and I was starting to get this feeling like I don't belong here. Uh, I don't know how I got this job. I'm not the right person for this and I'm going to fail. So sure enough, I had this out-of-body experience in front of this classroom of people in an, ex in a, an executive presentation skills course. Oh, no. <laughs> So, so afterward, rather than being supportive of me, he called me into his office, you know, like looking over his, his reading glasses at me with his big scowl and said, what happened? You know, you, you know, you defied my orders, blah, blah, mm. blah, you know, like this is bad, oh. no support, no empathy. And I was mortified. So as luck would have it, he was fired for something different uh, about, I don't know, a month later, and they brought in a woman to take his place. And the first thing she did is she sat down next to me and she said, how are you doing? And she, she sat next to me at the table, not across from me, but next to me, how are you doing? And just asked me a lot of questions and uh, encouraged me to open up. And so eventually I was able to share with her all of the like self-limiting beliefs that were going on, all the saboteur voices as we mm. like coaching. And I really felt a human to human connection with her. Mm. And she said, my job is to make you a success. You were hired not because you were already perfect at this, you were hired for your potential. And that's my job is to grow your potential. So she, she did everything in the coach's book, right? I don't know if she knew she was being a coach-like leader at the time. She did everything that coaches do. 
to support someone to develop themselves. And so she would, she would, she, she took me back into the classroom. She let me do the easy stuff. She showered me with congratulations and acknowledgement when I did well. Happy hours with the whole office to celebrate so that they were supporting me as well. And, and I really started to thrive under her, uh, under her leadership. And eventually mm. when she was ready to move on and go put out another fire somewhere, I got her job and I was mm. mentoring people. And I thought, what a difference to have somebody actually look for what you're doing right and support you there and to work with you as a human being, because, you know, we all have these self-limiting beliefs, especially when we come into a new job. So um, moral of the story is that was my first coach. I didn't know it at the time, Uh but a few years later, when I heard about coaching and started to look into it, I realized, ah, that's what I had there. She wasn't just my manager, my boss. She was my coach. So Mm. that story that I must've been talking about. Um, well, what a difference of 180 from having somebody who not only wasn't great, but actively trying to not make you succeed and setting you up for failure to somebody who was willing to just meet you right where you were and then to go from there is a huge difference. Um, and what do you, like what kept you at least engaged or showing up when you had that, when you're in that continuous failure setting? Fear probably. Well, part of it, what I think part of what kept me going was this was my dream job. I wanted this. I loved this company. It was like, like walking into a whole new world. And I, I knew deep down inside that I would be very good at, training people. I knew I was good at sales, but it wasn't my passion. Mm. So um, just just hanging on by a thread, just hoping I was going to make it through this because I knew knew it was part of my purpose, actually, to to learn how to train people and be good at it. Mm. I, I think that's really important for people listening as well, because I had this personally as well. And I think if we all look back and reflect, there are moments where we've kind of hung in and it almost doesn't make sense, but we all like, there's something inside of us that we can really tap into because I had a boss at one point who said that I wasn't good working with people. I was like, I want to go into the HR department. And he was like, I really don't think you're good with people. So I think you should consider something else. And I was like, wow, you know, I just, I really don't believe that. And so he basically was saying, you got to pick a different path. And I was like, I think I'm going to actually continue down that path in some sort. So, um, you know, so yeah, you're so right. Like sticking into that, something inside you knew, like, and I love how you said, like, that's part of my, this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you could put that language to it at the time or not, you knew. Yes. And then when you say coach like leader, could you expand on that? I think we talk about that quite frequently, especially in coaching circles, but what does that look like in a leader to be coach like? Yeah, so I would say the, the first thing is um, the way I would define it and, and the way some, some, some of the industry would define it is it's a, it's a leader who uh, can move out of the role to role relationship into a person to person relationship. Mm-hmm. Who, who will stop and ask the questions that will invite, um, invite the person, whether it's a, a direct report or a peer or even, even someone above them, 
uh, the human to human questions that are going to open up the awareness uh, that the person needs in order to have their creative solutions and move forward. So, you know, a manager or a leader can be in lots of different roles. They can be a mentor, they can be command and control, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, but when appropriate, I think being able to sort of uh, level the playing field and have that person-person conversation is, is, is what I'd call a coach-like leader. Mm, yeah. I love that. Yeah, so good. Because you're right, it is about that person-to-person -person connection that then empowers the people with them to be able to rise to that fullest potential, right? If we don't hold that space for them, who will? Right. Right? And that's just so key. Yeah. And who will take our job when we're ready to leave, right? right. You know, I think a leader's job is to, is to, um, to really think about succession and, and to foster the growth of the people that work for them so that they can they can rise. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I just, it, it seems like when we talk about these coach-like leaders, they're really developing and nurturing, if you will, the people around them. And that can be any level. You're so right. It's not just, you know, the, cause I think leading amongst peers, this is one of the great ways that people can set themselves out is just really connecting and and building that relationship, that's another thing that I think when you are coach-like, it's really developing the relationship and that nurtures and fosters trust and engagement and retention and drive and so many other things besides just that role-specific, you know, execution of tasks and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to just jump in and just say uh, such an amazing contrast to your original story right? The first story year, where you had a, a leader who was projecting their own fears and their own, you know, stuff, messiness to set you up to fail compared to a leader who showed up to rise you, right? Mm -hmm. Instead. Yeah. And that, you know, at the end of the day, that's what humanity really is. It's holding each other in that space. Mm -hmm. So what a contrast. It's incredible. Well, and it's such a different mindset. You know, the, the first leader's mindset was, oh, this person's in my way. Um, I'll tolerate her. <laughs> the, second, mm -hmm. the second one's mindset was, I measure my worth as a leader by how well I develop my people. Yeah. And, you know, on this podcast, it's called Humanity of Leadership, but also in the sense that it, what this modern version of leadership is, and I think it really is about, you know, looking at my success really, especially as a leader is those of, you know, is a reflection of those around me and we're pulling everybody up and we're engaging and that type of thing. So I really think that that's such a good, I mean, this person was your leader so many years ago, but they already knew that this was the magic. This is where really good things happen. And as she got promoted and moved on, you know, in the same way, whereas this other guy, you know, Obviously, I don't know where his career took him, but I would imagine that there was not as much happiness and success. Um, so, you know, after that position, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your transition into coaching and what that looks like, you know, from perhaps that job and then what that looks like to today? Hmm. Okay. Well, it's funny. Like I said, not long after that, while I was in that job um, and in, with that company, I started to hear the first first talk about executive coaching. That was the, the first 
thing I heard about coaching, because some of the people that are, were on the periphery of that were, were starting to look at it. And this is, this is late 90s. So I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. Maybe someday I'll look into that. And so I kept going and I kept going and I even left that, that company eventually uh, and went back into a pure sales job. Um, and one day I got a, a, a letter from my mom, well, just really an envelope with, a, with an article in it, with a post-it on it. And it was about life coaching. And she said, this is what you should be doing. <laughs> and, and I, you know, like moms love to do that. And sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, I read the article. I thought, well, that, that really kind of does sound like what I've been waiting for. So, so I don't know, somewhere around, yeah, I guess it was 2000. I finally decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go look into some training here. And there were only two coach training organizations that I could find at that point. Mm -hmm. Even the internet was fairly new. So, um, so I jumped in, uh, CTI's training happened to be the one that really resonated with me and was internal. I read the book, Coactive Coaching, and, and it was as if I had just picked up a system for applying a philosophy that I already knew was, was the way to communicate. So I was like, woohoo! <laughs> so I jumped wow. And a couple of years later, uh, right in the middle of my certification program, uh, the, co the company I was working for was laying some people off. And that's when I did my first really risky thing. And I went to my manager and I said, pick me. Pick me to fire. I'll take the package. Oh, wow. Good for you. <laughs> And I'm sure it was a relief to him. So I was one of the people that got to go and had a little financial cushion. Um, and so, you know, I just started building from there. And I wouldn't say it was smooth. Um, this was back in the, in the beginnings of coaching and how to build a business and so forth was, was definitely nobody really knew. Uh, so a lot of experimentation and just trying out coaching different people. Um, I don't know if this is this is the information you're looking for, but like, yeah, no, well, it's so fascinating because I think you have this great experience of basically breaking into an industry. You knew this was something that was so powerful. It's almost as if somebody else had put words and a structure to something that you fully believed. And then you had to then create positions for yourself and spaces where you could help people in this way when they... Yeah. Right now, even I talk about, you know, like some people always think they want help with something, but the thing that they come to you is often not the thing that they actually um, need help with. But like you, they didn't even know that coaching was the thing, even the beginning of the thing. So, you know, how did that, what were some, do you have any famous, like fun failing that you're like, aha, this, you know, in, in our coaching, we always, was it the like, ta-da, when we do something kind of wrong, but we laugh because we learn about something. Do you have any like big, uh, you know, ta-da moments with oh, coaching? Oh, wow. Probably a million. Um, one was from the business side. I teamed up with another coach and we decided we're going to, we're going to focus on, on women in the financial services industry. We spent tons of money on this fancy website and um, uh, letterhead. You know, this is back when you actually needed letterhead to send letters to people and stuff, <laughs> cards. And, and, and we hadn't really thought it through. We hadn't, we'd done no market research. We had no idea how to even talk about coaching. And so um, 
I'd say that was that was some money down the drain, uh, but I learned mm-hmm. a lot from that. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I can remember uh, getting some of my first clients, and a friend of mine referred a bunch of people to me, and some of them were not a good fit. But I tried to coach them anyway, and I can remember coaching one guy and hearing him typing in the background, like he was answering his email while I was coaching, trying to get up the courage to uh, redesign the alliance or fire that client. You know, it was just so many things. Um, Yeah, yeah, trying to use uh, too much jargon in my coaching with people who who. I've seen some reactions. Yes, I get that so much. Yes, right. Well, then that learning to use to use plain language or language people can relate to when I'm when I'm you know initially getting to work with that all kinds of things. I could list a million. (laughs) Um, Well, it's just it is so interesting how you know Narjus and I are nodding our head. You can't see that when you're listening, but we're like, yep, yep, we've had those too. Um, And what would you say is one or two things that is important for people if they are considering hiring a coach that you have found in your extensive experience that really make a difference, like things that people either should pay attention to or maybe ask a coach? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I think um, hmm. one would be to really, really understand that coach's approach to experience it, um, particularly to experience it. So uh, I know that you you two probably do this too. I'll often tell people, try on a few coaches. Uh, uh, most coaches do a complimentary consult or, or coaching session, try them on, ask questions, um, and be sure that, that you're clear as the coach with those people who are trying you on, this is what coaching is. And this is what it isn't. Uh, and, and really check for understanding on that. And then I guess the other thing I would say is if the chemistry doesn't feel right after you've done a little test drive with a potential client, refer them to someone else. Because that's another mistake. I've, I've taken people on when I knew in my gut that it wasn't a fit. But maybe it's good for someone else. Yeah, I, I love that so much. I think oftentimes one of the most important things is that understanding that we want to be in full service to you, right, for the client. And so, uh, Stephanie, what you speak to here is really creating that alignment with them so that we can move them and move them into the path that they want to be. But if that alignment doesn't exist or that chemistry is not there, it, it can be an uphill battle for both. And really to be in full service of them, uh, this is part of that integrity that we bring in that, that, you know, intuition that we have to exercise so greatly when we're, when we're handling new clients as well. So I love the whole, it's both ways, right? And it really is about, you know, giving that room and that, and that invitation to somebody who's new into coaching to say, you know, we really want this to be in service of you. So let's explore this and make sure this is a, a right fit. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. I just thought of one other thing. And that is, um, I think a lot of people that hire a coach, whether it's a leader for some leadership coaching or an individual for coaching on something else in their life, um, don't really realize that they're going to have to get uncomfortable. 
in order to make the changes that they want. And personal growth is uncomfortable and developing as a leader is uncomfortable uh, because you're gonna have to try things differently. And so, so I think as a coach or as someone hiring a coach, it's important to know that you're not signing up for um, smooth sailing necessarily. You're signing up for some, some rigorous, um, a rigorous adventure that sometimes is gonna be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I totally that. agree, Stephanie. I tell when I meet with new clients or potential clients, they say it's it's like a roller coaster ride. I, I mean, there are going to be times you're like, woohoo, and there's going to be times where you're like white knuckling through, um, but you have to trust me and you can't get off in the middle. You need to stick it through. And I've been with, you know, I've had enough clients that I'm like, I know, I promise, like, we'll get there. And I'm there to support you. I tell them, I'm like, I will kick your ass and I'm going to love you the whole way. Like, we're going to walk through it together. And that's, um, but it's not always cozy and it's not always, you know, rainbows and butterflies. And, but it can often get to a place that it feels much more like that because you've done the work. I, I love that so much. I think we all have an, our own interpretation of this because <laughs> I'm more of the sort of out of the box or live on the edge of the box sort of rebel space. And I, I often tell people like ignorance is bliss and self-awareness sucks. And we've got to be prepared to sort of lean into that. <laughs> so there is a huge, a huge you know, space of let's get uncomfortable together. And Amber, Stephanie, you're absolutely right. But we're here lovingly to hold you through that. I promise you at the end of the day, it sucks today, but I'm going to make it super cool along the way. Love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Stephanie <laughs> has heard me laugh, cry, get angry, <laughs> scream. She's heard it all from me. So um, thank you for always holding that space, by the way. Um, yeah. And so, Stephanie, if we look at your experience and work with leaders right now, um, and and this is something that I'm particularly, Nargis and I are both particularly curious about is, you know, what are you, what are you seeing that either are top focuses or are top needs right now that leaders and managers need support in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this before. Uh, there are so many, but um, I, I say one of them is navigating change that's faster than ever before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Navigating generational differences is a big one right now. Uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, there aren't that many generations, the, the, the younger generations, uh, the millennials and Gen Z, they are looking for fulfillment in their work and they will not, I mean, I'm generalizing, they will mm-hmm. not hang around uh, in an organization or, or a job where they don't feel some connection to their values. Or, you know, this is a, a characteristic, very general. Um, so, so that's a big one. Um, cultural sensitivity issues uh, that are coming into our awareness now, big, big area of navigation. Um, work-life balance, which goes along with, uh, you know, the constant change. And I, I'd say that most, uh, especially during the pandemic, most, most of the leaders I've worked with have been even more overwhelmed as, as their job encroached into their household and may continue yeah. to be in there. Um, and then an interesting, an interesting thing that I see, which is both a trend in leadership that's good and also a challenge for many is a particular competency 
um, is identified in, in an assessment tool that I use, which is the leadership circle profile. Mm -hmm. competency that, that, that is probably the final frontier of development for great leaders. And that's something called courageous authenticity. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the ability to say the hard thing, take the stand for something that might feel risky, show some personal emotion, uh, take a, accountability for one's own mistakes, all those things that you have to be really brave and sometimes vulnerable to do. This is what's being called for in leaders now. And, and time and time again, when I do this assessment, it's an area that needs development. Mm -hmm. So um, whether or not a leader comes to me with that as a, a challenge in their mind, if they start developing into that and stretching into that, it usually addresses a lot of things, including the one I didn't mention, which is imposter syndrome, mm. perfectionism, um, uh, self-doubt around one's abilities, which I've experienced myself, obviously. Mm -hmm. story. So that's a long answer, the laundry list. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all such important things. I think we've heard and seen so much about these, you know, whether in LinkedIn articles or the spaces and circles we're in over the past two years, there's been so much conversation about navigating change is obviously a huge one. And I think we'll continue to see that. Um, Nargis and I talked about the great resignation and the great realignment in a prior episode. And we talked about like, I still think like flexibility is king in essence, like that's what people really are looking for. And then it also leads me into thinking about like work-life balance. And I kind of look at it now as work-life integration is more of what I say. And what does that look like? And how are leaders supporting or making sure that their team is having an integration that's healthy? Because we all have cell phones, our emails follow us everywhere, right? Like we're getting Slack pings, or it doesn't end. We don't, even our weekends aren't truly our weekends anymore, but like, how are you creating that space and and boundaries perhaps or whatever for your team that's making sure that they are not hitting severe burnout um, and respecting their fulfillment outside of work as well, right? You know, we love to talk about engagement in the workplace, but we also want them to be engaged outside of the workplace, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. I, uh, I totally am bored with everything that you talked about as to where we need to move into the space. Uh, for me, connection, trust and belonging need to be so much more present in the organizations in the corporate world out there. Um, I strongly feel, and it's kind of connected, Stephanie, to what you said about being connected to our values, right? And allowing that to be something that we embrace in the workplace, to not be afraid of vulnerability, to not be, you know, in your story, you talked about the shift, that threshold for you was when you had that other uh, leader show up and literally one question after another, but the first lead-in question was, how are you feeling? Yes. I'm so strong. You know, my work is rooted so much in connection. And that's the, the that's something that I try to, you know, encourage so much in with, with other leaders. It's as simple as that. How are we making that connection? Because to me, work-life balance, we need to, I believe it needs to change. The definition of that needs to change. I think so much of us think that it's the number of hours or how tired we are, all of that. Although that does weigh on us, this is more about that mental well-being 
This is about how do we have balance in, I feel like I fit here. I feel like I belong here. And then the work, it's not about how much work is I have to put in if I feel darn good about being here. Mm-hmm. So I think that balance piece is so integral and otherwise they have literally one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I love that you point, point to belonging and connection because I do, I do think those are basic human needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember where, where belonging is on the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's higher, but it's, it's pretty basic. Yeah. And, and I do think that it's so easy to feel isolated in, in your organization or on your team if people aren't interacting with you as a human being and connecting with you. And that especially includes the leaders. Yeah, um, 100%. And we're big, we're big Brene Brown fans here. And she talks about belonging being such a key element. And when we're looking at you know, she includes it with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Like that's all one package for her. And she goes, it's not just inclusion. It's about belonging as well and how necessary that is. But we will always stand Brene Brown here. (laughs) Yeah. And I wanted to say what I love about what you're doing, Stephanie, in the tools that you use, belonging lives in that um, authentic, uh, what did you call it? Courageous authenticity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It lives in that space. Mm -hmm. Right, because when we can show up as who we are and be embraced for who we are, even in the corporate world, we start to get a sense of belonging. That's right. And the more we try to protect, um, uh, uh, put up a screen, uh, play politics, try to control others, comply even when we don't want to, (laughs) the 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 less we're being ourselves and bringing our true selves, the less we're going to feel like we belong. Because you can't belong if you're not. You're not really being who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we look at generations in the workplace, I think millennials kind of are feeling like we want, you know, mental well-being to be at the front of the forefront of our work life balance and what we're asking for in um, the workplace. But then also you're looking at Gen Z and I think they're just like, they're not, they're not bluffers. Right. They come And they're like, you know, and I think at the, it is courageous in one aspect. I think a lot, the older generations view it as, you know, not willing to be gritty and stick it out and things like that. But they're like, look, if this doesn't, this doesn't work for me, like this doesn't work for me. And I'm not going to waste 20 years here thinking it might work or whatever. So I think you look at the generations, they are embracing these things more and more, which I think will continue to create a really dynamic workplace. Mm-hmm. It's going through a very transitional state right now, which I think people are definitely top of mind. You have leaders who are like, this is, it's being shaken up and it's not the way it has been. Um, but I think there's learnings and really great positive things that if we focus on those, we can bridge some of those gaps. I agree. And I'm really excited for, for this evolution uh, in the new generations, because I think, I think that's the way it should be. Um, Mm -hmm. That's always what drove me in my career. And I always felt a little bit like an outlier in my generation, boomers, um, (laughs) like everybody else was just picking the right job that would pay the most and, and being miserable for the rest of their life. And I never could do that. Uh, and so, so like, it, it, it just delights me to see people who aren't willing to do that because I know uh, they stand on their feet. Yes. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. 
You're just ahead of your time, as always, Stephanie, being a trailblazer and knowing what's, um, you know, focusing humanity and that being at the forefront of who you are in the workplace, which has obviously led to success for you in your career. Um, I have a question about what are your thoughts on empathy in leadership? There's a lot of articles saying like empathy is the number one leadership trait that every, like people are focusing on. It's the most important thing. You know, kind of what are your thoughts? Is that in leadership circle profile or profile circle? I think I'm getting that wrong. Um, yes. Like yes. Wh- where does that lie in, you know, some of the work that you do with leaders? Yeah, that would, that would, that would lie in the sort of the, uh, the relating side of a person's competencies, the people side. And yeah, okay. it's really important. Um, I think that in order to in order to interact with somebody as a human being and and to grow them and develop them and and to help them connect to their work and to themselves and to the other people around them, empathy is is I mean it's indispensable. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, the more empathic a leader is, the more they can invite authenticity in the other. Uh, I think mm. I think gotten to a point now where emotions can exist at work and and bringing empathy as a leader allows permission for that. So, you know, if somebody walks into your office and they're crying, it's no longer, you know, like in my favorite TV show, Mad Men, where, you know, the women had to go in the bathroom to cry. (laughs) I want to add to that real quickly. I know you're in the middle of your story, but it makes me laugh. I come from the hospitality industry and we used to do the go into the walk-in cooler and cry yeah yeah. (laughs) it was our space (laughs) so yeah that that would that would be back when organizations lacked empathy but I think Mm -hmm. now just being able to invite people to have their emotions and know that that's part of who we are and how we know what's going on with us I mean that's to me what empathy is being able Mm -hmm. to be with it uh feel it with them uh and and help people have their emotional experience yeah, well, in, in all of our training, like I said, we're all trained in the same, um, through the same institute, but it's, it's the combination of being and doing. And I think a lot of the workplaces, it just always came down to the doing. And that was what we were scored on. That's how we got promotions or raises or whatever. But now it's really inviting in the whole being of us as well and having space for that. You know, when it's great, we're celebrating that. And when there's tougher moments, we can also hold space for that as well. So just letting that be. Um, And so you, Stephanie, work with people, you said in like kind of their mid-career transitions sometimes. And I'm curious to see, I know you've worked with people at all levels. Is there a certain level of either leadership or management that you think coaching is either A, particularly effective in, or B, you would like vouch that there should be more of at a certain level? Hmm. I'd say coaching, coaching is an excellent support at any level. I wish that everybody, every time they joined an organization had an onboarding coach, uh, no matter what level they were hired at. And I wish that everybody who moved into a new position had a coach, because that's one of the most vulnerable times in my experience. Um, uh, and so I'm not really answering your question. Um, it's more situational than, than where they are in the organization. I will say that, that I have a soft spot for, uh, for 
emerging leaders in organizations who maybe maybe they've managed people, uh, but maybe for the first time they're really they're really being elevated into a position where they've got to let go of a lot, delegate, and actually um, lead with vision. Mm. Uh, I think I think that, that that moment when somebody is is um, is moving into the place where they need to be a visionary for their team or their organization is is a real sweet spot for coaching. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate that answer because I know from my own as an onboarding coach that moments of transition, especially when starting with a new organization or starting a new role. There's just so, like you said, there's so many vulnerabilities. There's a lot of things happening at once. And to have that support for people is, I mean, I, it's a game changer. I I've seen it happen. And I know you have as well in the sense that, you know, you're just, there's so many, so much richness, so much learning and so much support that's needed that honestly, nobody else in the organization can really give them in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and probably uh, the most vulnerable time to admit you need help. Yes. You, know, you probably wouldn't want someone in the organization unless they were super confidential and you really trusted them because we can it be fraught with, with uh, self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. Oh, yes. And when I always tell people, I'm like the number one thing you need to not do stop right now is trying to prove yourself. You cannot prove yourself when you start a new position. You're just there. You're learning too much. There's too many new things. And that's like just such a like starting a relationship when you're trying to prove how good you are. is just right. not the right way to do it. But that's what you feel like you have to do. You're like, they took a chance on me and I must prove that I was the right candidate. Mm-hmm. Probably what you felt like a little bit then when you were set up for failure in that in your dream position, you're like, I have to prove I'm worth it. And they just kept not setting you up for success. And even if they had been setting me up for success, even if I'd had a different manager at the time, if I'd be coming from that, that's fear-based, right? Mm. That's me thinking I don't really have the job until I can prove I'm worthy of it. Um, I think Uh, that, yeah. (laughs) I love that you brought that up. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay. I wanted to jump in and just say, and dare I say what I love about what both sort of the onboarding portion plus the sort of integration into a new position or the space of going into more of visionary leader. Dare I say that this is the organization's responsibility to lead you into that space with this support. Uh, because I think what happens is oftentimes the, the understanding or the idea that we've hired you, you have the skill, you have the ability, or, hey, you've been doing this job for so long, you're really good, you've shown that you have the ability to do it, but they forget the connection piece that exists that needs to exist and be held as you move into both. In the onboarding world, it's the, what you just spoke to, uh, Amber. It's the, how do we keep you feeling welcomed and accepted and, and, and um, you know, give you the, the tools and the resources you need to get you over that threshold? And then, you know, Stephanie, for the person going into the visionary, it's the organization needs to lean into coaching you now to what it's like to be in this space, to now have to manage people differently. And to, you know, this is the story of my life where I was, you know, constantly being promoted, 
but not being taught how to let go of what that relationship was once like with my coworkers and how to lean into a new one. And now how to hold this new set of, you know, work and ideas and, and how to delegate differently without compromising those relationships that can weigh so heavily. So I, I just say, dare, dare I say that the organizations really need to embrace this as part of their process as well. Yes. I would agree. And I, 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 more and more, I see it happening, uh, which is wonderful. It's been, it's been so amazing to see coaching where it started and, and how, how much the organizational world has embraced it. It's here to stay. And uh, that's tickles me pink. <laughs> awesome. I thought yeah. it was a fad, you know, but nope. Well, I mean, Stephanie, you knew you were onto something so rich when you started this, you know, being in this space. And I, I can only imagine the things and the evolutions you've seen in your time in this industry and, and working with organizations who at one time you were teaching them what an executive coach even was and what that relationship looked like. And now that feels a lot more understood and and then now what is the next iteration of this? How are we supporting emerging leaders and people in onboarding positions and through those promotions? And I think that that will become in another 10 years, it'll be an included part of the package, I would assume kind of a thing. So um, I, I'm excited to see as this industry continues to evolve and just become more of a household benefit rather than a really nice luxury, which is what I would say it kind of still borders on a luxurious offer um, mm -hmm. from the organizations, um, part of their package or their gift to their team. Um, and is there anything else as we kind of round out here, is there anything else that you would want people to know about coaching or what any magical things that you've seen or anything else that you want to add? Hmm. If you've never worked with a coach, try one. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that, uh, that so many people, and I was thinking this as you, with what you were just saying, Amber, uh, it's still sometimes a luxury for the high performer. But prior to that, it had a reputation of being, um, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, something you, a coach was something you got if you weren't performing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I guess I would say that like, like, be thinking about the next evolution of it, which is it is an essential part of a support system for anybody. And uh, like, if you've never worked with one, go for it. If you hadn't had one in a while, go find one. Yeah, and I think that when we look at what some of these younger generations are requiring of people in the workplace, coaches help you find fulfillment. They help raise awareness. They help gain clarity. And like, if you are looking to retain good talent, these people, when they know, when they have the support and they know these parts, then they're much more likely to bring that to the workplace and to stay in those teams and to ask things clearly from their leaders that they want. All of these things just become a much better and healthier working environment, which is what the younger generation is asking for. And they'll be able to speak to it and to help create it. And so I think I'm like, it's a, it's, it's not an insignificant investment for on company's behalf, but it's 
pays off in tenfold when you can create systems that are supportive and engaging. So I'm a huge advocate for coaching, obviously. Um, We all are in this circle, but I just think that it is, it's such an important part. And you've seen this time and time again, Stephanie, of how well it works and the amazing outcomes it really can have. Mm, Love that. Um, Well, Stephanie, where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? And, you know, where can they get involved in, in you and all the magic you create? Well, this is a funny, I was thinking, okay, here I am with my thing that my coach needs to work with me on. And that is I've been trying to build a new website for quite some time now, but I have one that is quite old, uh, but that's a way to get in touch with me. Um, or or email. So uh, lovingercoaching.com is my website, which will soon be replaced, uh, but that'll be the same web address. And Stephanie at Lovinger Coaching, excuse me, let me try this. Lovinger Coaching at gmail.com would probably be the best email address right now. And that's L O V I N G E R coaching at gmail.com. All right, perfect. And I'll put those in the show notes for when this episode is published. And as always, you can reach out to me. I have all of her contact information (laughs) um, on hand. And I just want to thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us for a rich and fulfilling conversation this morning about both your experiences uh, with leaders, both good and less than ideal, and all the work that you're doing in this space. I am so grateful for the coaching you've supported me with, with the mentorship you give me, and just being somebody that has helped make this industry what it is today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Mm. This was a blast. I really enjoyed doing this with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Just a quick uh, love, love that you took the time to join us and uh, share that vulnerable story just the same. I think it's always impactful when we can uh, be willing to share our, our, you know, views on things and do the great work that we do. So appreciate you very much. Thank you. Great to meet you. Thanks so much, everybody, and have a good day. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are so happy that you joined us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review wherever you listen and tell some other kick-ass leaders you know about us. We'd love to continue the conversation on LinkedIn or check us out online at humanityofleadership.com. Take care and we'll see you next time.